another episode of Just a Quick Pinch. I'm your host, Connie Wang. And I'm still Connie's fiance, Jimmy. As you guys can probably notice, this is our first video episode, which is super exciting. Um, I don't know how long this will last since we're still figuring out like all the tech and that kind of stuff. And we want to like hang some more stuff here, so the setting might change. But welcome to the newest installment of Just a Quick Pinch editing connie here i just wanted to give a disclaimer the full episodes are not video yet this is just like i'm trying out this new thing where i'm recording some video that i can use for clips um but i'll let you guys know once full like whole ass episodes are all available for video that time is coming soon my friends for now we're just doing a soft launch of video with some clips that i can use for reels Anyways, today's episode is going to be super good. Uh, the main episode is all about imposter syndrome, why it actually can be good for you, all that fun stuff. But first things first, Jimmy, and editing, Connie. Alrighty, you guys. You first thing... can't handle the video. No, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. We're just warming up. You're just, you're just like, hey, <laughs> Connie. We're just warming up. Already. Act natural. First things first, you guys, we have our healthcare horoscopes. Uh, you know what I like realized was kind of funny as I was setting up for this? I realized that I can't fool them in this case. Like, I can't tell them it's not reversed when it is. Editing Connie here. Also, I apologize, you guys, for any, like, annoying audio, how it doesn't sound as crisp. Uh, we will work on that. Rest assured. Editing Connie and Jimmy are working on that. Alrighty, you guys, this week's healthcare horoscope card of the week for the week of September 26th is... Oh, now we make Yu-Gi-Oh jokes. <laughs> we had a video. It's this one. Let's see what Biddy Tarot says. I think it's the Seven Seven of Swords. A seven of Swords, I think. Alrighty, let's see. Very what we Game have. of Thrones esque. We're very excited for House of the Dragon later. Of Recording swords. on a Sunday for once. I know we were really getting ahead of ourselves. I'm here. actually overjoyed <laughs> because I was just thinking about like all the time tomorrow. I know I'm getting back. Wait! Oh my god! Oh wait, it's upright. Never mind. Well, Seven of Swords reverse was imposter syndrome. But okay, Seven of Swords upright. The keywords are betrayal, deception, getting away with something, and acting strategically. Interesting. Fake it till you make it instead of imposter syndrome. Oh, what a good spin! Kind of, that's that's what we're we're talking about. Um, Alrighty, you guys. Traditionally, the Seven of Swords indicates theft betrayal deception and trickery you may be trying to get away with something and are sneaking around behind other people's backs hoping to go undetected if you mm. are lucky see if you hadn't proposed yet i'd be like mm. so you can propose <laughs> <laughs> um if you are lucky you might get away with your secret intact but if you are unlucky others will soon find out what have you have done causing you shame and embarrassment be aware that anytime you use cunning or deception to gain an advantage over someone or something else you are at risk of being found out and even if you're not the cover-up will require a tremendous amount of effort it may not be worth it alternatively you may be the victim of someone else's betrayal others are not being candid with you and you may be unaware of their lies and deception you may trust someone who then turns out to be running their own agenda leaving you high and dry look out for any sneaky behavior and listen to your intuition on a more positive note the Seven of Swords, oh, thank God. <laughs> I was like, this is a really weird <laughs> This is getting dark. I'm like, yeah. I really can't find the flip side of this. Um, on a more positive note, the Seven of Swords points out that you need to be strategic in what you do. You know you cannot do everything at once, nor should you. Instead, you must prioritize what's important to you and direct your focus and attention on the few tasks that will move you closer to your goals. Oh my God, you guys. 
Also, editing Connie is so chatty today for some reason. But you guys, I feel like this actually really does resonate with me now in hindsight. Because, like, my week, my schedule at school with patients is kind of slow this week. And at first, my instinct is to fill it with, like, more patients. But, like, I should be, like, really taking my time and, like, filling it with things that really matter to me. Like, making sure I'm on top of my Cocoa Floss work and making sure I'm on top of this podcast. And, like, all of that stuff instead of what I, like, should be doing on paper. <gasps> I just had a breakthrough. It's the 80 to 20 rule. 20% of your work will account for 80% of your results, so focus on the 20%. You may be able to accept some responsibilities or duties, but not all of them. Or you may say yes to some projects at the expense of others. So choose wisely, my friends. Ooh, I feel that at work right now. Really? Too much projects to choose. Too much betrayal. <laughs> not a lot of betrayal, but the project thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's just recommending being strategic in your life. Uh, but I am worried that I've somehow fallen into the doghouse without having done anything. Because these this sounds really suggestive of like kind of just being like, Jimmy is up <laughs> to something. I know, I'm like, Biddy Tara said. The Seven of Swords also suggests that you may need to use shortcuts or the back door to get what you want. What do they want us to do? I feel like the beginning of this thing was like, don't take shortcuts because then people will find out. Yeah. And now it's like, take the it's shortcuts. It's either like cheat codes or not. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Choose a lane. Rather than dutifully following the process, you may need to find ways to resolve your problem quickly so that you can move forward with your goals. For example, if you missed out on getting into your preferred course, you might write a letter to the dean. This is so specific. But this says you might write a letter to the dean or draw on your networks to get a mid-year entry. Oh, okay, okay, this is kind of helpful. At times, the Seven of Swords suggests that you may need to put yourself first to get what you want, even if it means letting others down or putting others offside. For example, you may be asked to travel to work to attend a high-profile event, but it could mean missing your child's birthday. So obviously you miss the travel. Okay, so you decline the travel opportunity, even though you know it'll upset your boss. Okay. For a second, I was like, you're not going to miss your kid's birthday. Is there anything deceitful about going to your child's birthday party? This just seems like very oddly specific examples. No, Biddy Tara is like, <laughs> they're projecting, I think. I feel like whoever wrote this entry for Biddy Tara was on. like, I hope Susan sees this. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, there was a lot to take away from that. I feel like someone was projecting when they wrote this. I think so. Anywho, that is all we have this week for healthcare horoscopes. Now on to i finally thought of a good name for this uh so like from now on when i give you guys journal prompts we're gonna call it journal club which i hope other professions also did journal club like it's, it's not just a pharmacy thing right i don't think so but i definitely think that they make pharmacy students go way harder on journal clubs than any other profession so for those of you guys that maybe don't know journal club is this thing that we used to do in pharmacy school where like you all meet up and discuss like a journal article honestly like it was the kind of thing that you did for extra credit i'm pretty sure that's like the only time i ever participated in that yeah well, you know i mean it's a thing that professionals do as well like in the professional setting. for fun do people Not really for do this fun, for fun but we have a journal club on occasion to stay current with the literature do you enjoy it no <laughs> Actually, exactly. one time my boss threatened us with more journal clubs, <laughs> and we were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We are like, we'll be better, we swear. Okay, so <laughs> we're like, I'll be good. They're so it's a punishment. A threat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, actually, like, it. Well, we have all of our, uh, like, you know, advanced, like, pharmacy students do a journal club, and then that helps us stay on top of the literature. We just make sure they do the work for us. Uh, I, we, see I have what a no really repeat is. rule. 
because one time we had like there was like five students in a row that all found the same article i don't need 10 different appy <laughs> students to tell me it didn't work i just need one now i understand what the point of journal club is it's for the higher-ups to just have information presented to you yeah it's like, literally like using to... the lowly students yeah. and the people i don't to... have to unpack the study they unpack for oh. me and then i pick up on the little things they missed and just ask them really, really hard questions. And watch them crumble. And watch them crumble. And it's fun. Okay, I cannot let wind of this, uh, like, go to, like, my people at school. Because I feel like we would really abuse that. But Ellie looks so sad. Look at her. She's mad. She's literally so mad. I don't know why. Oh I think... God. She knows we're talking about her. Okay, wait. So I found this really good list of deep journal prompts on Pinterest. It's shadow work edition. So it's kind of like spicy. Like it's a little like deep and like makes you think. Um, spicy. Yeah. So this week's journal prompt for the week is, what's the most hurtful thing you've done to yourself? You don't have to answer. This is like for the audience. Go to pharmacy school. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of our answers are probably around the same vein. Uh, Yeah. Ask yourself, what's the most hurtful thing you've done to yourself? Or similarly, I feel like this question can be tough sometimes, so approach it this way also. This is like a similar question. What's the biggest lie you constantly tell yourself? Because I feel like sometimes you tell yourself lies that hurt yourself. The Ooh, journal, I have a great one. What? So I think one, like, you know, it's like one way you kind of convince yourself, like, you know, like with working out. Like if you don't work out for a while, you're like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, but mm. not doing that is hurting you. Mm, that's a good thing like so i think like that's like a like fairly benign way we hurt ourselves like yeah by like denying ourselves like the exercise our body needs in order to maintain you know like our stature or whatever or even like telling yourself i don't have enough time to work out yeah. because the thing is like you do have time it's you don't care about it enough to make time for it yeah like i took a two-hour nap i could have worked out instead Oh, we went it looked on a, so good. We went on a six-mile bike ride yesterday. Your though. nap looked so good. I was looking over at Jimmy while he was napping. I forget if you had your... At one point, you had your glasses on, and they were, like, foggy. Oh, I took, <laughs> That's my, how I I know. took my glasses off pretty quick. At one point, his glasses were foggy. That's when you know it's a good nap. Yeah, I woke up real sweaty, which is also how you know it's a good nap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like most of your naps I, you wake I up sweaty. I reconstituted fine, though. Yeah. Anyways, that's all we have this week for Journal Club. Editing Connie here. I don't know how this cut off, but anyways, now on to Spit Talk. <laughs> we look like we're doing like a yearbook photo. <laughs> we just don't know how to do this. Yet. Yeah. Um, you know what would really complete this in being a yearbook photo is if we had like the tree that you go that you lean against like this. Oh my god, wait, you guys, I have like the best thing ever to share for Spit Talk. Okay, so this week at school, you you know about this because like you live with me. But so basically I had like the best experience of all of dental school uh this past Wednesday. So I had a patient where I have to do a full mouth extraction for this patient, meaning I have to extract all of their teeth, literally the full mouth, 28 teeth. All of them are in there. Um, but like due to certain reasons with like their periodontal disease, I have to extract them all. So what happened was in order to do these full mouth extraction cases, you basically make this denture beforehand. You can't try it in their mouth. You don't know what it looks like because obviously you need to take out all of their teeth first to put it in and like see if it works, right? Okay, so basically that's why I was so nervous about this case was because I was like, well, I'm not going to know if this denture A fits or B looks good until I physically put it in this person's mouth after I've taken out all of their teeth. So just that thought, it's kind of scary, right? Because yeah. it's like there's a chance like they might not like this and this isn't going to go well. Um, or there's a chance like they're going to like feel sad once I take out all their teeth. Like there's just something kind of 
almost there's, like barbaric not barbaric just, no just going like, back yeah there's something and for me i'm so afraid of like permanent things that i'm like i'm doing something to someone that is so permanent like yeah. for the rest of their lives this is arguably like one of the bigger type of procedure like life-changing kind of things i can do for someone because mm-hmm. like if i do a filling on someone uh like you can always put another filling on top of it. You can always do a crown. You can always do a root canal, an implant. There's, like, always next steps. This, it's kind of like once the tooth is out, it's out, you know? So, anyways, long story short, it actually went really well. So, I ended up only doing half of their mouth that day. Um, I just did the top part. But there was just, like, this beautiful moment where, uh, like, it was time. It, it felt like coronation time. Like, when you, like, knight someone or yeah. give someone their crown. I was like, alrighty, like, time to put it in. And I, like, opened the thing. I, like took out the top denture and I put it in and then it kind of like shuffled around a bit for a second and then they like smiled and then it was like I literally heard angels singing in my head it was like "Ah," and then I was like wow it looks so good and then I handed them the mirror and then like their eyes just like lit up like they were like oh wow like I feel like I like saw them see themselves in like a new way it was like just really really cool they sent that photo to their significant other their significant other was like oh my god like they were like so happy I just feel like it felt like creating like a whole new person. It was amazing. So yeah, anyways, that was like, I think the best experience of all of dental school. It was just I'm, like a really cool I'm so proud of you, my experience. little Tic Tac factory. Thank you. A Tic Tac factory? Yeah, you pulled out all those teeth. Tic Tac, Tic Tac, I just feel like the really, really cool thing about like the whole denture thing was like, up until this point, I was always like, oh yeah, like doing like cosmetic anterior work. Like that's pretty full, cool. It's like really satisfying. It's really fun. Blah, blah, blah. But, like, this this time, I don't know, it just felt, I was like, wow, I, like, changed a life. Like, it was, like, really cool. I was pretty proud of you because, you know, I don't often think about you during the day in terms of, like, what you're doing. (laughs) But I was like, I was like, oh, like, she's, like, doing some real dentist shit right now. You know, on a typical day, like, Jimmy, like, works hard. He goes to work every day from, like, he's gone from, like, 7 a.m. sometimes until, like, 4 or 5 p.m., Usually I'm on the couch, I'm sleeping. I, like, my student schedule now, especially that I'm a fourth year, is, like, pretty chill. But that day I was just like, oh, my God, I wish you guys could see me. I was literally, like, sweating. I had, like, sweat running down the side of my forehead. Um, you know what It actually made me sweat the most? It wasn't the actual pulling out of the teeth. It was the suturing part. Because yeah. it's, like, when all was said and done, I was tired. And then I was, like, having to, like, th- thread together everything in my hands. were <laughs> shaking. I was like, just get the suture on so that I can put in the denture. You guys, main episode, Connie, got editing Connie working on overtime. (laughs) Okay, so somehow, I don't think we filmed an outro. I guess we did, but it somehow got cut. Anywho, now on to the main episode. I am so sorry for this chaotic hot girl huddle. We will work on it with the video thing. Some kinks were, you know, expected as we launched our video debut. But anyways, now on to the main episode. Alrighty, you guys. So for this week's episode, I really want to do a deep dive, like a whole episode in or on imposter syndrome because it's just something that's been like discussed a lot recently. It's like a hot buzzword, something that everyone like is self-diagnosing ourselves with. Um, And it's something that I kind of just wanted to normalize because I find a lot of times when people have negative experiences in our pals, a lot of us instantly say like, okay, well, maybe this is just a sign that like I shouldn't be here. Or like maybe it like it shouldn't feel like this. This isn't normal. When really that's kind of exactly what imposter syndrome is, is thinking you're somewhere that you shouldn't be, thinking you're experiencing something that you shouldn't. So this is kind of meta, but hear me out. 
I think sometimes people with imposter syndrome put more emphasis on it than it should have, almost like letting the fact that they feel imposter syndrome worsen their sense of imposter syndrome, when really, no, it's a pretty normal part of the process. I think that we can all, you know, relate on some point. Actually, I I did see the study that more than 70% of people are affected by workplace imposter syndrome thoughts at some point in their lives. So, and I'm willing to bet that number is actually way higher than 70. So really, everyone has it just like studying and working hard and late nights are all part of the journey. I think so is, you know, a healthy dose of self-doubt and wondering if this is where you're meant to be. That's not to say that we should be complacent with these negative feelings because I definitely don't think it's healthy to live in this type of self-doubt and questioning all the time. But I think that by identifying how common it is and taking away that scary word syndrome, I think this is the first step to feeling better about it and empowering yourself to like lift yourself up from this place. So recently I was actually having a little, you know, like studious girl moment and I was reading up about this and I found a recent study. Um, It's actually like one of the first of its kind that was published in 2022 about imposter syndrome from a professor from MIT. Her name is Basima Tufik. Hello, MIT, right across the pond from us in Boston. Um, So her study essentially just found that a lot of times people that claim that they suffer from imposter syndrome these people actually put more effort into a lot of different areas of what they do so a lot of times people with imposter syndrome can actually outperform their non-imposter syndrome reporting peers in terms of interpersonal skills and things at work so what this means per this professor at MIT is that a trait that a lot of people dislike in ourselves you know having this imposter syndrome this might be a motivating factor to help us perform better Now, something to keep in mind, I actually resonated with this idea, is that you also can't always use what you personally think your quality of performance is as a measurement. Hi, Ellie. Ellie's barking to uh, get on the podcast. You have so much to say. Ellie Ellie would like to uh, add something about imposter syndrome. You have a lot of gripes about the performance so far. Yeah. Um, So anyways, where was I? Oh, right. Okay. So you like really can't use your own personal judgment of your quality of performance as like an actual mark of quality because for some people like myself, even if you perform well with, for example, like a presentation or something, if you have anxiety about underperforming, that probably will lead you to overprepare for the presentation, right? And then let's say it goes well. The imposter syndrome can actually make you not happy with it because then you tell yourself like, oh, I put too much effort into that. Like it shouldn't have been that hard or like telling yourself like it should have been easier. On the other hand, if you procrastinate over the assignment and then you manage to like hand it in on time and it's still pretty good, if you have imposter syndrome, this will tell you like, oh no, you're not successful because you're good and you were able to think on the fly. You're just successful because you were lucky. Like it's not about your own ability. Imposter syndrome takes away you celebrating your own abilities and places that unlock. So that's part of what this study from the professor at MIT mentioned is that this professor wanted to figure out how someone's, you know, perceived competence gap is what she called it might impact your careers, both in terms of like quality of their work and also in like social interactions with their peers. So what she did was she worked in three different settings. First, she worked with supervisors in an investment firm who basically like observed and scored the interpersonal skills of like each of the people. And some of these people Some of these people reported that they were experiencing these imposter syndrome thoughts, other people didn't. And this study went on for over two months. So basically what this professor found was that despite their self-doubt, 
the people that reported having imposter syndrome thoughts were actually rated a lot more interpersonally effective. Oh, geez. I forgot to fill Ellie's water bottle. She's going to start clanking it around. Do you guys see the diva that I raised? I swear, Jimmy and I don't act like this, but whenever she's low on water... Hold on, let me replace it. Okay, you guys, I'm back. Now that the queen's thirst was quenched... Oh my god, do you hear her lapping up her water right now? Sorry about that. Anywho, what was I talking about? So basically, this professor found that despite having so much self-doubt, the people in this investment firm who reported that they had imposter syndrome thoughts were rated a lot more interpersonally effective than their non-imposter syndrome reporting peers. So basically, the managers that were observing them said that they worked a lot better with other colleagues. They were better collaborators. And so she took it a step further and did a second type of setting for this. I thought this part of the study was interesting because, um, especially for our podcast, because then the second stage was she worked with a group of later stage medical students that were about to enter their clinical rotations so this part was kind of funny to me so some of them were induced to experience imposter syndrome thoughts by writing about a time that they had them in the past and apparently in this clinical study this is considered a process that effectively reproduces the conditions of thinking in an imposter syndrome type uh, like controlled environment this was just funny to me because i feel like if i was writing about this i would just be going like on and on and on and it would be like a full-on like diary entry like the scientists with their little lab goggles so i know i also know this is like not how <laughs> researchers do it but i just like imagining that like there's little lab researchers out there with like cute little white coats and goggles and beakers why they would have beakers in this situation, I don't know, but it just makes them seem official. And you know what? Maybe these maybe these lab researchers have imposter syndrome too. They're just trying their best, okay? If they want to have their beakers, let them. Anywho, where was I? Um, oh yeah, so I just think it's like really funny thinking about them writing their little diary entries. Uh, but anyways, once they wrote these diary entries, these students were then tasked with diagnosing actors that were trained to manifest symptoms. I think what she was describing in this situation was like a clinical OSCE, which is what we used to do in pharmacy school, where they hire these actors from like a local theater company to pretend to be patients. And like this was like their big break. It was like kind of cute. But anyways, once again, this professor found that the students that had imposter syndrome received higher ratings on their bedside manner from these patients, which was nice. It said that they were more empathetic, they're better listeners, they asked better questions, and they also noted that the students that reported to have imposter syndrome were observed to hold more frequent eye contact, love that, uh, lean more forward and better affirm the symptoms that their patients had described. And then so lastly, the third scenario for this study was where it was like a job interview process and they had interviewees, again, induced to experience these imposter syndrome thoughts. And what they noticed was from the people like hiring these interviewees, they noticed that those with the imposter syndrome were, were rated as more interpersonally effective than their non-imposter peers. And they asked more engaging questions and had better answers during this interview process. So... I just thought this was interesting. This is like a first of its kind study involving like this kind of behavioral like management type of thing. And you have people in business, like people in this investment firm, people in medical school, and then people in like job interviews where in all three it helped or benefited in some way the imposter syndrome category. You guys, I'm literally dying right now. If you can listen, if you can hear, Ellie is having the zoomies in the background of this. It's so funny because I'm talking about this like deep subject and then all you hear in the back is like, pause. 
which just goes to show how it's wrong to paint this picture of imposter syndrome being this thing that's holding you back because it it makes you expect that you would be a poor performer but this study right here just showed that it does not it actually made you a better performer it also just makes you think like so think about like all of your idols out there right think about like the top dogs and the best of the best those people might have actually been battling imposter syndrome Maybe even, like, more so than, like, their other peers, you know? So, basically, the conclusion is that the idea that people with imposter syndrome are pretending to be someone that they're not, someone more capable than what they really are. I, like, literally cannot believe Ellie is having the zoomies right now. Ellie, can you not? I gave you water. <laughs> we let you out of the bedroom. What else do you want? Anyways, in conclusion, this just shows that imposter syndrome might not be negative affecting your quality of work. If anything, self-doubt may help you, like, put in more effort extra effort into your interpersonal connections which kind of makes sense because like if you have imposter syndrome maybe you reach out for like more guidance and mentorship from some people and then that might like kind of help you outperform in some sense because you were the one that initiated help and reached out for help to make you better um this isn't like necessarily to say like you need self-doubt in order to perform well like I think you do but like I'm not saying like search for self-doubt and try to emphasize this it's just highlighting that you shouldn't panic if you have these types of thoughts because you can use it as a source of fuel and motivation to like prove yourself and like fill gaps in your knowledge um I actually really like this quote that I found while I was researching for this it said in those moments where you feel like an imposter you realize I have something to prove so that you're not wait oh I butchered this quote oh wait actually no it's it's a it's an okay quote. In those moments where you feel like an imposter, you realize, I have something to prove, so you're not complacent. For some reason, this quote seemed to hit harder. I mean, it's, it's a good quote, but it kind of just emphasizes everything I already said. Anyways, although there's a lot of, like, different recommendations on how to help imposter syndrome, I do want to point out, I think, like, the biggest thing that, like, all the experts agreed on when I was doing this research is that the goal should be to try to fix the assumption that this is, like, a bad thing. It's really just meant to, like, help you just not be so hard on yourself when you have these thoughts, and that's why I think we should really take away the scary name, like, the syndrome behind it, because it's giving this situation more power than it needs to. It's making it seem like a pathology, when really, like, this is normal, like I said. And also, so there's no data on where, like, at what point these imposter syndrome thoughts start to affect your performance. But in psych, there is this thing called the Yerkes-Dodson stress performance curve, which basically shows that if you have a few nerves, like, in the beginning, up to a certain point, it actually helps you improve your performance because it, like, keeps you on your toes and it gives you, like, it makes you, like, ready in, like, fight or flight mode to, like, do your best work. So some other reasons I wanted to point out of why imposter syndrome can be good is because one, it shows that you really are challenging yourself because if you want to get better at anything, you can't just expect to get better by like kicking up your feet and having a good time, okay? Like, or having a comfortable time at least. Like, you can't expect to look back and be like, oh yeah, the time that I really took things easy was what changed me. That was what shaped me, right? Like, no one says that. Two, it's good because it keeps your ego in line. So basically, it helps you not take opportunities for granted because you still are hungry for that and you still feel like you have more to give. And then also, if you feel like you don't know things, it's actually a sign that you are gaining experience because there's that famous quote, the more you know, the more you know you... Wait, the more you know... I'm just like butchering all the quotes today. Wow. The more you know, the more you know you don't know. Say that five times fast. So... 
A lot of experts actually believe that imposter syndrome is something that comes from or something that arises as a result of being more accomplished in your field. So that's something to keep in mind for anyone out there suffering from imposter syndrome. So basically, I know I gave you a lot of broad situations with imposter syndrome just now. There's actually five specific types that you suffer from, which I never knew. I thought this was really interesting, like learning about the five different like archetypes of imposter syndrome. So in order to know how to deal with imposter syndrome, I think we should go into these types and like how to specifically combat those. But before we do that, there are three general ways to combat this as well, which is one, getting comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. I actually have a podcast episode all about this, so go check that one out. Two, <laughs> I thought this was funny because it's kind of obvious, but also not. Make more time for extra learning, like put in the extra effort outside of work and it's going to make you feel more confident because you were prepared. I like read this and I was like, wait, so are they just telling us just to like be prepared? I feel like this is what my professors were telling me at school <laughs> when it comes to like seeing patients is like just prepare before you do the thing on the patient. Um, this is the most difficult thing to do because it takes a lot of elbow grease, but it's also probably the most beneficial thing you can do, even though you probably don't want me to tell you this. But yeah, like putting in that work, also telling your faculty or your manager that you're having a tough time learning things and like you're falling behind, more likely than not, they're not going to shame you. Okay, the last time someone reached out to you and said you're having a, they're having a hard time with something, you didn't instinctively shame them. Instead, they're probably just going to, you know, shed some light on things you can work on and then also shed some light on things you're doing really well that you might not have not even noticed and that can help you the most and three I really like this I, I do this with a lot of my patients make sure to save any sort of like glowing reviews you get from them nice messages letters of rec and like little wins to just look back on um, and have that support system in place also al alternatively this takes some self-reflection but if you can I know like in this day and age like you can't avoid everything obviously and you shouldn't avoid everything that makes you feel uncomfortable or challenged because like that's not how you grow but try to just avoid like people places things gunners that you know are going to trigger you in like a non-helpful way okay so anyways here are the five different types of imposter syndrome i personally believe that we're all like a combination of each of these types um like kind of like with personality tests we're like a different percentage of all of these i feel like i really strongly resonate with two of these um but a little bit of some more of these as well so just keep that in mind. So number one, the first type of imposter syndrome, the first category, is what's called the perfectionist. The main focus for this character type, the perfectionist, is how something is done and how it turns out. So even if it turns out a success, if there is the smallest flaw, they still view this as not successful and as a failure. So what this type has to work on is becoming more aware of the conversation that's happening in their heads. And knowing that not everything can be perfect and not everything needs to be perfect in order to be successful. Like you're going to have to at certain levels in this process and in systems and things. At a certain point, you have to let go of perfection in order to make room for success because perfection can be such a hindrance. Um, for example, you can slow down like a team and teamwork by making sure everything is like perfect enough. It's like a form of per procrastination as well. So if you're wondering if you're this type, um, ask yourself these questions. Number one, have you ever been accused of being a micromanager? Number two, this is kind of similar. Do you have difficulty delegating things? And even when you do so, are you disappointed or frustrated in the results? Like, do you feel like you had to like do it yourself kind of? Number three, when you like miss your like really, really high expectation for something, do you accuse yourself of not being cut out for something and like ruminate on it for a, a long time? That's me. Do you feel like your work has to be 100% perfect 100% of the time? 
So for this perfectionist type, success is honestly not very satisfying because they think that they can always do better. So a big part of helping yourself with this, if you have this type, is owning and celebrating your achievements. Even though it feels cheesy, even though it feels like against your beliefs, if you want to avoid burnout and you know, develop a healthy sense of self-confidence and find peace, you have to learn how to celebrate your own achievements. And also, on the flip side, try to take your failures and mistakes and instead of just view them as part of the process. So one good way to do this is to kind of like force yourself to m- make mistakes in a way and push yourself to act before you're ready for something, um, even if you know you're going to make a mistake. I mean, obviously, to a certain extent, but just rather than waiting for everything to be perfect in the perfect moment, blah, 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 just jump because you'll learn more from jumping and there will never be a perfect time, really. Like the perfect time will more likely than not be sooner rather than later. Number two. So the second class of imposter syndrome is what's called the expert. So the expert is someone that focuses on what they know or what they know they can do. So they like to stay in their zone and stay within their limits because they expect themselves to know everything and if they don't, they feel ashamed. For these people, it's kind of like there's a difference between saying like, I'm so stupid and then saying, I feel so stupid in this situation because I'm so stupid is kind of just like a blanket harsh statement for yourself when really it's no, it's I'm just feeling stupid in this moment. So you can tell if someone... Um, if you're someone that is classified as the expert, if you shy away from applying to jobs unless you meet like every single requirement and more. Are you just like constantly seeking out more training and certification and more reading more books because you think you need to improve your skills in order to proceed? Even if you've been like in your role for a while, the expert sometimes feels like they still just like don't know enough. Or alternatively, if someone calls them an expert, they also feel a little uncomfortable with that as well. So the thing with the expert type of imposter syndrome is that if it's taken too far, this is also a form of procrastination. So what really helps with this is kind of similar to with the perfectionism one, start practicing just learning on the fly. This means like learning about something right when you need it. So instead of feeling like you have to read up about it for days and weeks and months, just give it a try, see what happens and see what you can learn. And this will help you gain self-confidence from learning on the fly. So number three, The third type of imposter syndrome is what's called the natural genius. So the natural genius measures success by how quickly and easily they can do something, which saying this out loud seems kind of embarrassing because this just sounds so silly. Um, But this is actually one that I identify with almost the most. I feel like I identify with like this 40% of the time, um, just basically because I like set the bar super high for myself and I expect to be good at something right off the bat. This like it sounds like a good thing, but it's honestly like a curse. Like I'm I'm someone that when I was a kid, I had really good beginner's luck. Always just beginner's luck, right? Because usually when I try something, I'm good at it, but then it's a downfall and it's a curse because being good in the beginning doesn't help you, okay? You don't learn how to troubleshoot and problem solve. And I learned, I realized this in dental school when I was like, oh wait, having beginner's luck is actually like not great. So beginner's luck can only help you so much because then eventually you reach this plateau of what beginner's luck can take you to where in order to get to that next peak you're gonna have to make mistakes and a lot of times people that made those mistakes in the beginning already got that in the bag because they learned from those mistakes so they can already reach the next peak whereas people with beginner's luck then they have to like make those humbling mistakes and learn and that's just hard to accept sometimes so for this type of person having to master different um, different types of skills can sometimes be frustrating. They expect to be good at everything and like hit the ground running right away. So if you feel like you fall into this type of uh, imposter syndrome category, 
it's helpful to remind yourself that the more you do of anything, the better you're going to get at it. Like, you don't get worse from doing more of something, okay? And these types of people also set our internal bars, like, really, really high, just like a perfectionist. But the difference with us being the natural genius types versus the perfectionist is that not only do we judge ourselves based on these like kind of ridiculous expectations but we also judge ourselves based on getting them right on the first try like we think there's merit in that for some reason even though there's not i know there's not if you are wondering if you're this type of person ask yourself are you used to excelling without much effort do you have a track record of getting straight a's or gold stars in everything you do or when you were a child were you frequently told that you were like the smart one or the this one or the that one do you dislike the idea of having a mentor because you think you can do things on your own? When set, when faced with a setback, do you, does your self-confidence tumble because you feel shame? Or do you often avoid challenges because it's so uncomfortable to try something you're not great at? It's funny because for me, this is where I feel like I don't resonate because I feel like I look forward to challenges because this is kind of sad. I feel like I look forward to challenges because then I'm like, oh, this is something new I can try. Maybe something new I can be good at too. So then it's kind of sad because when I'm not good at it on the first try because it's challenging, then I'm like crushed by my own expectations. So yeah, that's why it's kind of unfortunate. So another thing that helps this type is try seeing yourself as a work in progress. So rather than beating yourself up about this, like try to find specific, tangible, small things you can do to improve. So for example, if you want to feel like you wanna you wanna get better at public speaking or presentation skills and you feel like you're not good at them, instead of just swearing off never speaking in public ever again, because like you can't do that and it's something you're not good at, instead focus on small stuff like your posture during presenting. Or like small things like working on your speed of while you're publicly speaking. Okay, the next category, the second to last category and the fourth type of imposter syndrome is called the soloist. So this is someone who is focused on who completed a task and they need it to be them and only them. So because the soloist thinks they have to do everything alone, they can feel like they failed if they had to ask for help. And so obviously, like, you need to collaborate in life, okay? So it helps to keep in mind that you could be maybe, like, taking longer to do something by insisting that you have to figure it out yourself when really, like, big term, you could be more successful by asking for help. It's okay to want to be independent, but the idea is you shouldn't, like, refuse any sort of help just because you want to prove your own worth. Like, that's not the point of why you should be doing something. So you can ask yourself, if you're not sure if you're this type, do you firmly feel like you need to be the person to accomplish things on your own? Do you feel like you don't want anybody else's help? Does that sound like you? I think something else that you can keep in mind when I first learned about this type is that I've never looked at someone that's successful before and thought, wow, they are so cool because they did this all by themselves. Like, no, I, I know they had help. I know they had a team. They had their people. And I don't fault them for that. I don't even like think about that at all. I think of that as like a necessity help in order to get somewhere big. So I doubt you feel that way too. So if you feel like you're a soloist and that feels like the only way for you to be successful is that you had to do it by yourself, why do you hold yourself to like such a high standard that you don't even hold other people to? Like not even like famous successful people that you look up to and last but not least the fifth and final category of imposter syndrome is what's called the superwoman or man i think i was like 40 percent ish like resonated with natural genius but i think like this is one that i really resonate with like 60 percent ish like i feel a lot of this in my core for this person what matters to them is how many roles they can juggle which kind of like doesn't make sense i don't know why we're like this but basically 
like we're ex- we expect ourselves to juggle like 50 million balls and then falling short on any of these makes us feel badly because we expect ourselves to be able to do everything and be everywhere at once um it's interesting i read in one of these studies that apparently the super people is the category that's most likely to be the most impacted by this pandemic especially people who are parents apparently i wonder if dog parents count but basically, if you're measuring your success based on like excelling in not only just work life, but also your ability to be a parent and a partner and a family member, like at some point, like you're not going to be able to do it all. And that's okay because that doesn't mean you're still not doing it all. So one way that this type can help themselves is by working on self-compassion, obviously, lowering your standards and just trying to be aware of this comparison trap because it's really easy, especially on social media, to see people share snippets of every little bit of their life. Everyone looks like a superhero on social media. Okay, that's the thing, because you choose to share little snippets of each area of your life, and obviously you're not choosing the downfalls to share of each area of your life. So, yeah, it's, that's something to keep in mind, is everyone seems like a super person on on Instagram, on TikTok, on Facebook, all that stuff. So, some questions to ask yourself if you're not sure if you're in this category. Do you stay later at the office, um, even past the point that you've completed your necessary work? I do this at school a lot sometimes, like when I'm done cleaning up my operatory and I'm done with the day, I'll sit there and be like, ah, what a good day. You know what would be more fun is if I did more stuff. Like, I don't know why I feel this pressure to be productive while I'm there at school. I don't know. It's just, it's kind of like sick. (laughs) Um, Also, ask yourself, do you get stressed when you're not working and find downtime completely wasteful? This is literally me on like a lot of Friday night, not really Friday nights, more like Saturday nights. Friday nights, I'm pretty happy to relax. But then by Saturday, if I had a leisurely Saturday, I'm like, I didn't deserve this. I need to put in some work and do something else. You can also ask yourself, have you left your hobbies and passions fall by the wayside, sacrifice to work? And I feel like I personally did this by trying to turn my hobbies and passions into work, essentially, because then I'm like, then I'm working all the time. And like, it kind of doesn't make sense. Also, do you feel like you truly haven't earned your titles? Despite numerous degrees and achievements, do you feel pressure to work harder just to prove yourself something? So for we, the supermen and women's imposter syndrome people, we actually feel super addicted to the validation that comes from working, not to the work itself. Like, I feel like I feel like a safety net blanket from me putting in the work and the hours even though like it might not translate to results I feel like oh no my safety net like what makes me feel safe at night when I put on when I put my head on the pillow is knowing that like that little validation I get knowing that I worked hard so I think basically the principle of this is in order to help ourselves with this we have to train ourselves to not look so much to external validation at the end of the day Like, a lot of this is for external validation, to try to achieve things, prove to the world something, but really, like, no one else should have that power to make you feel good about yourself more than yourself. Like, you should be the one that matters most. Anyways, that is all I have for you guys today on imposter syndrome. I hope this was helpful. I hope you guys reflect back on, you know, all these different types and find yourself in some of these, maybe a little bit of all of these. I know I did, and yeah. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast page, leave a Spotify rating, leave an Apple Podcast rating, and yeah, thanks so much for listening, you guys. I'll see you next week. Bye!